Well, one of the best ideas of the last couple of years, as far as I'm concerned, is the creation of the professional grocery shopper. And this last Wednesday morning, right before Thanksgiving, I heard an interview with an Instacart employee who warned, look out, it's amateur day at the grocery store. The day when the person who's not in the kitchen doing the cooking is at HEB looking for obscure items in a store that they don't know. So it's the spouse of the cook or the oldest child who's usually away for, for college or the great uncle from Ohio who's in HEB. And last year he said he witnessed an argument between two grown men over the last package of craisins on a shelf. <laughs> it's dangerous shopping the day before Thanksgiving. Leave it to the professionals. And I know, I know that you don't become an expert overnight. I know that it's a long haul and that sometimes there is failure. One time I realized that I forgot my wallet after my groceries were already rung up. Another time I left a full cart of groceries in the aisle before checking out because my toddler threw the bigger fit. There were regular repeated trips that gave way to familiarity, and at times I had to ask for help when I didn't find what I was looking for. This morning we are to consider Mary, the mother of Jesus, and in my mind she is rightly sainted. We crown her as an expert in the faith. The Gospels tell us that she stands steadfastly in love at the crucifixion of her son, and afterwards, she stands in the midst of community, open to the Holy Spirit, receptive to what God will do next. Mary does personify hope for us. This morning, we have the Mary of Luke chapter 1. And what I want you to see about the Mary in Luke chapter 1 is that she is an amateur among amateurs. She's young. She's maybe 14 or 15 years old, completely inexperienced in life and in love. She's Jewish, living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. She's in a small town of small regard in South Galilee. Now, it's important to remember that for most women in the first century, their power is measured by the men to whom they're connected. And so their income and retirement is equivalent to the man that they're married to or to the men that they mother. And so I tell you this this morning not to make you feel guilty or to feel bad, but to give you some perspective on what's being communicated about Mary in this opening scene. We are told that Mary is betrothed, and that's not a word that we use anymore, betrothed. And it's more than engaged. It means that the marriage has been arranged by Mary's father, and it's legally sealed. Mary probably lives with her parents, but if Joseph were to die during this time of betrothal, she becomes a widow. She would be a widow. Even though this is the time before the wedding, she'd still be a widow because the relationship and the shared responsibility between the two families is set. It's cemented. So the news that the angel Gabriel brings to Mary of pregnancy is the potential not only to bring shame on her family, 
But the greater problem, the greatest problem is that she could be disconnected from the only system of security that she currently enjoys. Mary is risking everything. She's risking it all. When Mary agrees or signs on to Gabriel's plan, the NRSV tells us that she says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And I think we often hear these words as pious and demure, softly spoken in prayer. But I want to push you a bit this morning. I don't think that Mary whispered these words. And if she did, I want you to know that I believe she had a sparkle in her eye when she whispered them. Mary has to know that she's signing on to something big. It's important for us to spot her strength and her courage. The What is the Bible study reimagines Mary's words, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word as simply, let's do this. Let's do this. Do you remember the story of United Airlines Flight 93 on September 11th, 2003? Do you remember what they reportedly said before taking the plane back from the hijackers? Let's roll. Among the group believed to have stormed the cockpit, a six-foot-one judo champion, a rugby player, a college quarterback, a weightlifter, and a former paratrooper. Flight 93 just happened to hold a physically intimidating group of passengers. Let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. This isn't, this isn't a pack of brutes. This is just one. Just one who says, let's do this. And she is the youngest of women in the smallest of towns among an overlooked people. Mary risks everything for the sake of God's kingdom and her people who are currently being trampled on by the Roman Empire, but have a history of being trampled on by every empire. So don't miss the sparkle in Mary's eye, the skip of her heartbeat and the race of her adrenaline. This is what I've been waiting for. I'm in, she says. Mary's courage, her courage is her piety. I want you to hear that courage in her words. I suspect that her courage is rooted in her blessedness or her favor that she knows to be a part of her identity. You know, twice in this passage, Gabriel says to Mary, you are one who has found favor with God. And she doesn't question her favor. She doesn't say, favor? What are you talking about? Favor? Who are you talking to? She does have questions. Mary wonders about what is happening and how it will happen, but she doesn't for a second question God's good will toward her. Even though her esteem is not at all reflected in her circumstances, right? No one would look at this 14-year-old girl and say, successful. Mary knows of God's love, and she's willing to risk everything on that love. So courage is certainly a part of hope. It's a quality of hope. And it requires that we step out in the direction that we know to be right. It's not really hope if someone or something does it for us, right? We have to sign on and we have to step out. And yet there's another quality to Christian hope 
There's another quality to Christian hope that holds courage in balance, and that's patience. Patience and courage are held together in tension in Christian hope. Author and pastor Brian Zahn says that Advent teaches us how to hope by reminding us of patience. Patience, he says, is at the heart of wisdom. I think you heard that in a video before I came in, right? He said, I'm most foolish when I'm impatient, and the wisest among us are also the most patient. Remember Paul's words at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, and now faith, hope, and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? What makes it the highest priority among the three? Well, I like the idea that love is the greatest because we use it the longest. We'll use it into eternity. But faith and hope, faith and hope we need now why we don't see things so clearly when the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. And so we wait, we wait, and we hope, and we are patient. This week, a friend sent me an article from the Christian Century. It was written by a woman who works at a church, but she also has a child in chronic pain. And she wrote about how her understanding of hope has changed since her son's accident as she's walked alongside of him in this chronic pain. Here are some of her words. She, she says, hope isn't about magical results. It's about the long haul and the long darkness. Hope never gets so cynical that it can't be surprised. Hope finds and names God in the world's most desolate places. Hope sits and waits in darkness. And it outweighs, it outweighs torture, it outweighs humiliation, crucifixion, and death. Hope is precisely, she said, the mystery that, that I strain toward, that strains toward what I don't yet have. She said, it's like a bridge. It's a bridge that's wider and sturdier than I imagined it would be, and it connects me still to the God who loves my son. I think I've learned this week is hope, that hope is the stepping out and the waiting. It's the stepping out and the waiting. Hope requires us to courageously step out and walk forward in the understanding and expectation of God's love and wait patiently to see what God is up to. And after considering Mary this week, I think I've learned that her deepest, greatest truth is that she is a model of faith for all of us. In fact, I think Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, wants us to know that Mary is us. Father Richard Rohr says, Mary shows us the mystery of how salvation is received. Think about Mary. She's favored by God before she's done anything, anything right or anything wrong. She steps into the mystery. She walks courageously, even in times of disappointment and sorrow and pain, and she's open. She's open to community, and she's open to a new inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mary's a model for us. She's an archetype of faith. 
She shows us how to hope. May the hope of Mary rest securely in each of our lives. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we wait and we hope. And we ask for assurance because assurance fuels courage and allows us to step out. May our weaknesses and our insecurities always reveal your strength. Would you renew each of us this day as you restore all of creation. Amen.